Wonderful singing. Good to have a sanctuary full of, of voices, strong voices, loud voices, singing praises to the king, the ruler of all, high king of heaven. And uh, may he truly be our vision, that ruler of all. In my college days, I had a, a very beloved teacher, professor of preaching that, that kind of hammered into our heads. Um, he said, boys, when you're preaching, never make yourself the hero of the story. <laughs> and what he meant by that is if you're teaching, if you're preaching, don't use yourself as the example or illustration. He said, Jesus is the hero of the story. Don't, don't take that place from him. And, uh, and by and large, I stick to that advice, and mostly because as I go through life, I find that I'm not the hero of my story. And, uh, but as we look at this passage today that we're going to be in, Matthew chapter 9, and the last four verses of that chapter, I want to invite you to sort of enter in to this passage uh, in a little different way with me this morning, um, because this passage is one that, at least for the last Oh, 12 years or so has been very, very personal to me. And this isn't typical of the way I like to teach, but I do want to share a couple of reasons why that is. As a 16-year-old young man, I remember distinctly a man who came to, to do a conference at our church growing up, and he spoke on this passage, and his emphasis was on verses 37 and 38, which says, Jesus, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And the application that day, I remember, was very simple. He said, pray that the Lord would send workers into the gospel harvest. And if you pray that way, don't be surprised when you are one of the people that he sends. And uh, at that point, even as a teenager, I had been sort of wrestling, as teenagers do with what are they going to do with the rest of your life? What, what's the rest of life going to look like? And I had been given opportunities to teach the, the scriptures. I had been given opportunities to preach. Um, I had my pastor and several other men who were mentors to me and older than me tell me that, hey, Aaron, maybe you should pursue some kind of ministry one day. And at that age, those things are all kind of hard to process. They're hard to really look at with a clear mind. But looking back, it was part of the Lord's leading and working in my own heart. And I'm not sure it was just that sermon or that passage that sort of flipped the scales for me, but it might have been maybe a culmination of things that God had been doing, a realization that Jesus is still sending out workers into his harvest, and a realization that if he's going to call you and lead you to do something, there's nothing better that you could do with your life than that. So I remember telling the Lord, uh, yes, whatever you have for me, I'm willing to do that. And wherever you lead, I'm willing to follow. Well, later on in my college years, I began to struggle with a little bit of, well, good old cold-heartedness. Now, maybe it was college burnout. Maybe it was senioritis. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was stress. Maybe it was just apathy. But I came to a point in my mind where I felt as if I was just going through the motions. I was learning, I was working, I was, I was doing ministry even in college, but it was almost mechanical. And I knew something had to change. And I began to pray that God would renew some kind of warmth, some kind of life into my mind and heart. Well, it was not much later that at college, I heard this passage shared again, only this time the emphasis was on verse number 36, 
which says of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I remember the application from that sermon as well. Jesus is the compassionate savior. And I remember thinking, that's what I'm missing. I have a sense of, of the need. I have some kind of a sense of calling, but oh, if I could just have an ounce of Jesus' compassion. And I wouldn't say that I've arrived perfectly at that place yet. As the old song goes, he's still working on me, right? And I don't have a claim to uh, follow the Lord perfectly in my life, but I do know that Jesus' compassion and his heart to seek and save the lost are still very personal to me. And so this passage is as well. In the last few weeks, we've talked quite a bit about how Jesus' works and his words became personal to people, like how it became personal to Peter when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. It became personal to Jairus when Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. It became personal to the paralyzed man when Jesus forgave his sins and healed his body. And in this passage today, these four verses, we see a big glimpse of Jesus' heart. And we find that his heart is full of compassion. And that compassion is for people. Now, let's take a poll. How many of you here today would say that you are a person? Most of you. I guess not all of you. Well, Jesus had compassion on people, so this affects you, at least if you raise your hand. If not, I guess you'll just have to stick it out for the next little while. Hope you find something. But Jesus is the compassionate Savior. And here's the question for today that we'll ask out of this text. Do you listen to the voice of Jesus, the compassionate shepherd? Do you listen to the voice of Jesus, the compassionate shepherd? Ask the Lord to help us as we look at these words. Father, thank you for giving us your scripture. Thank you for teaching us and showing us these things. Thank you for uh, this picture of our Lord Jesus, of his heart for people, of his heart for the lost, of his willingness to enter into that difficulty. Lord, I pray that we would catch something of this in our own minds and our own hearts today, that you'd help us to be grateful for our king, our victorious king, who's also the compassionate savior and shepherd. May we glorify you because of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's read this passage all together. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 35. It says this, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I had originally planned to go into chapter 10 as well today, but by the time I finished writing about these four verses, I said, I think that's enough for today. So we'll stop at verse 38 in chapter 9, and we'll see this in two, two different ways. First, we see that he seeks his sheep. He seeks his sheep. This verse, verse 35, is kind of a transitional verse because we're sort of coming out of that 
big section we just looked at with all of the miracles. Um, we saw three different sets of three miracles. And of all the stories that we've looked at over the last month, we've seen Jesus' compassion unfolding in a very real way. But this verse is also uh, transitional in the sense that it kind of puts a bookend because back in chapter number four, verse 23, before we even got into the Sermon on the Mount, we read the same thing. It says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So that's kind of the, the preface to what we've just seen. It's Jesus teaching and then him healing. And then we saw the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaching, and then all of these miracles. And then Matthew again says, and he went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease and affliction. Teaching and healing, teaching and healing. We've seen them close up. And these things confirmed who Jesus was. They confirmed his power and his authority. But it does, again, show his compassion as well. It says here that as he went throughout the cities and villages, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. The healing we've seen, the teaching we've seen, and he's proclaiming the gospel, it says, of his kingdom. Now, this ties in pretty well with Palm Sunday, doesn't it? Because they were bowing down, worshiping, putting their coats down on the ground, putting the palm fronds down on the ground because they said, this is him. This is the Messiah King. He is ushering in his kingdom. And of course, we know that's the theme of all of Matthew, that the king is here. That's what Jesus came preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is here. And for us, with the rest of scripture and being able to look backwards, we know he is saying, the king is here. The king is here. And he taught and he healed. He taught and he healed. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we could spend a lot of time talking about that illustration, what it means. Um, it would have been somewhat assumed for Matthew's audience because sheep were a large part of their culture and seeing sheep was kind of a daily occurrence. But suffice to say, sheep without a shepherd tend to go astray. I love, uh, there's a video that's been circulating online for a while now where this, this young guy uh, tending a sheep, he's pulling a sheep out of this ditch. And as soon as he pulls the sheep out of the ditch, the sheep jumps about 10 feet and right back into the same ditch again. And uh, that's kind of the tendency of sheep a little bit. Um, and that's the illustration that Jesus is using. That's the metaphor, sheep without a shepherd. Our slides aren't really working, so you have to bear with me. But um, the idea of sheep without a shepherd is not new with the New Testament. We see that reference several times in the old as well. For instance, in Numbers 27, Verses 15 through 18, we read this. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out before them and come in before them 
and who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand on him. There we find toward the end of Moses' life, the leader of Israel, he prayed to God to raise up a leader, another leader. And the prayer of Moses was that this would be so the people wouldn't be like a sheep that have no shepherd. Well, Joshua was that man. And we know how God used Joshua to lead and shepherd his people. And interestingly, we also know that Joshua or Yeshua means God is salvation or God is deliverer. So even then, Joshua, as the leader of Israel, was sort of a picture, a foretaste of God's own leadership of his people. And even his name points forward to Jesus as Jesus and Joshua share the same Hebrew name. We read this kind of thing again, sheep without a shepherd, in Ezekiel chapter 34. I'm going to read from verse number 1 through 6. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. And they wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. At that point in Israel's history, during the time of Ezekiel the prophet, they were much like when Jesus came. Ezekiel was told to prophesy to the shepherds, to the leaders of Israel, because they were derelict, they were defunct. They didn't lead the people. They were self-consumed. They did not feed the sheep, which is a reference to both teaching and care. They did not bring back the strays, and they did not seek the lost. They ruled with harshness, not compassion. But we see in this passage that Jesus had compassion. Literally, he was moved to compassion. He was touched affected in the inner sense by the plight of the people of the world. He saw, and unlike those shepherds in Ezekiel's day, he was not indifferent. He was not angry. He did not hate those who had strayed. He had compassion because just like in Ezekiel's day, they had no good leaders, no good teachers. Back in our text, it says that the, he saw the people as sheep without a shepherd, and it says they were harassed and helpless. Another way to translate that is literally they were torn and thrown down. And that would have sparked the image of wolves in the people's mind, because that's what would have torn and thrown down the sheep. And besides that, Jesus had already warned just a couple chapters ago 
that there would come fierce wolves in sheep's clothing as false teachers and false prophets. This is how Jesus looks out and sees the people. He looks out and sees his people as sheep without a shepherd, torn and cast down. And really, this is how Jesus sees the world as well. Back in Ezekiel 34, if you skip ahead a little bit to verse 22 and following, this is what the Lord says. He says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. So this was God's promise to the plight in Ezekiel's day. The people are like sheep with no shepherd. So what's the solution? God says, I will set up over them one shepherd. And who would that one shepherd be? It says, my servant David. Now, how could that be? David, the king, had been dead for hundreds of years at that point. How would David be the one shepherd, the king over God's people again? Well, do you remember last week what those two blind men called Jesus as, he, as they implored him to have mercy? They said, oh, son of David, have mercy on us. And do you remember in Matthew chapter 1 when we read the genealogy and Matthew begins with uh, Jesus, the son of David and the son of Abraham? Jesus is David who was to come. He is that one shepherd and the king of the kingdom. And I'm not assuming that, because if we read in John 10, this is what Jesus says in verses 11 through 16. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, The wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and listen and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus is the one shepherd. And through him, there is one flock. Jesus had compassion on his own people, the people of Israel, because they had been torn and cast down. They were being ravaged by the legalism of the Pharisees, by false teaching, false prophecy. He had compassion on them. But he also has compassion on those who are outside of his flock, which is you and me. We were the outsiders. But because of the compassion of Jesus, we have been brought in. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. On that triumphal entry day, they rightly worshipped him with palms 
as he entered in on that new cult. He is the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. But he came not so much as a political ruler, but as a compassionate king and shepherd. The shepherd who does seek the lost. The shepherd who does feed his sheep. The shepherd who does go after the straying one and brings him back. Could you look into culture, into society, into the world, and see sheep without a shepherd, ravaged and cast down by the wolves of sin, the wolves of bad teaching, the wolves of bad philosophy, the wolves of of selfishness and pride? If you could see that, then also look and see Jesus. He is the compassionate and good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. We can ask another question here. Friend, do you see yourself as a sheep with no shepherd? Do you see yourself as harassed and helpless at the mercy of the ways of the age, of the whims of the moment? Do you see yourself as in need of the one shepherd? And if so, do you listen to his voice? Do you hear him? Jesus' words are are very exclusive. He says, there is one shepherd and one flock. Do you follow that one and good shepherd? He calls his sheep to him. Do you hear his voice? Do you see his compassion, his love, his urgency? Do you see his tenderness and his concern? Do you listen to the voice of the one shepherd as he calls you to himself? So he calls his sheep, and then secondly, we see that he sends out his workers. Verse number 37, Jesus uh, sticks with the theme of, of agricultural metaphors, and he switches from sheep to harvest. The people were pictured as sheep, and now they are pictured sort of as grain, ready to harvest. In another place, where Jesus was speaking of doing the will of the Father, he says something similar. In John 4, verse 35, he says, Do you not say, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The harvest is a harvest of of people, a harvest of of sheep, if you would, who need a shepherd, a harvest of those who are lost, ready to be brought into the kingdom. Verse 37 says, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. It's like he saw the crowds, thousands of people with compassion, The harvest is plentiful. People are plentiful. Those without a shepherd are plentiful. Those who need to be brought into the kingdom of God are plentiful. And Jesus says here, in this case, the laborers were few. The time had come. It was time for the gospel to break through among the people. But there were few workers for that harvest. 
And here, Jesus speaks about how God planned to do his work. And he plans to do it through his people. Without Jesus, of course, there is no gospel. He is, after all, the hero of the story. But God has also ordained to use people, men and women like you and and me, to be laborers in his harvest. And the command here to the disciples is this. Pray that the Lord would send laborers. Pray that God would use people and call people and impress upon people the need and the urgency of the harvest. We could ask this question. What does it take for a person to be a laborer or a worker in God's harvest? Well, in this case, it takes a work of God to get a hold of a person's mind and heart, to grip them with the same kind of love and compassion that Jesus had, the same kind of urgency for the gospel to be spread, to give them the same kind of vision of the need that Jesus saw, and to give them the kind of love and willingness that Jesus displayed. Pray, Jesus says, that the Lord would send laborers. It's a work of God as he works through people. Now, the immediate fulfillment of this comes in chapter 10 because Jesus, uh, we, we go on to read rather about Jesus' disciples and how he commissioned them and sent them forth. But there's plenty of application for us here as well today. And the first is this one. We often talk about prayer and how we should pray. On Sunday nights recently, we've been looking at select passages about prayer and really trying to hone in on the importance of it. And often we wonder, what, what should we pray for? What should we pray like? And we saw a great deal of teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, the most famous would be the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, one of the ways that we can constantly pray and know we are praying after God's heart and after his will is to pray that he would send people into the harvest. Do you consistently, if you're a believer here today, do you consistently pray for the lost? Do you consistently pray for those you know and those you've never met that need someone to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death, his resurrection, and his reigning on high. Do you pray for those without the one shepherd that they would be found? Earlier I shared that I had gone through that season of apathy when it came to this matter, and maybe that's where you are. If so, pray. Pray for God's will to be done and pray for God's heart to be brought forth as people are sent into the work and pray for the compassion and the heart of Christ to come alive in a small way in your own heart. But I also want to give the same application to you today that I received as a young man. If you are earnestly praying for God to send forth laborers into this harvest to spread the good news of Jesus Christ and to see people come to follow him, then don't be surprised when he shows you that he desires to use you to do that very thing.
It may not be on a foreign mission field, but it might. It may not be a crazy endeavor to places you've never been, people you've never met, but it might. If we're praying that God would send forth laborers into his harvest, then what we're really praying is that God would do something powerful and gripping in people's lives, something powerful enough that they might forsake other things to go out and serve this mission. And if that's the case, what if the Lord of the harvest is doing that work in your heart? You may say, I could never see myself as a, as a missionary or a teacher or as a preacher. And maybe you won't be, but could you see yourself sharing the gospel of Christ with your neighbor? You may never see yourself going across the world, but could you see yourself going down to Collide and volunteering to share the love of Christ with these teenagers who very much are sheep without a shepherd? You may never see yourself doing great works of evangelism, being well-known for your speaking or your writing, and you may not, but could you see yourself living a life that's submitted to Christ before your family and your children and showing them the truth of the gospel on a daily basis? If you pray that the Lord would send forth laborers into his harvest, prepare your own heart to be gripped with the compassion of Christ. Pray for his mind to be instilled in yours, his perspective to infiltrate your thinking, his eyes to illuminate the way you see the world. And think of this, if you are a follower of Christ, then God had gripped somebody else's heart enough to share the good news with you. Maybe it was your mother, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a pastor, Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was somebody on the radio. I don't know. And maybe it was once, and maybe it was a thousand times, but God used someone, someone that he took and sent into his harvest. So, friend, do you listen to the voice of the one shepherd? Do you listen as he calls you? perhaps for the first time, to come to him, to find forgiveness and cleansing through his blood and to follow him with your life. Believer, do you listen as he calls you to spread the good news, to pray for and maybe even be a laborer in his harvest? Do you listen to the voice of Jesus, the compassionate shepherd. Lord, thank you for these words. Thank you that you are the one shepherd, the one king who has come and you are victorious. Thank you that you do send laborers into your harvest because had you not, I wouldn't be here today. May we listen to the voice of you, the one shepherd, the shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, the shepherd who knows his sheep, and they know him. Let us listen, Lord, to you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.